seventh episode of Cruisers. Today I was joined by Bob and Deb of Kennywood. Uh, for those who may not know, Kennywood is a beer supply store that was uh, founded in Crown Point. Well, actually founded in Bob's basement, as we found out in the interview. Um, established in Crown Point, and um, more specifically, I think I was really excited about having them in because um, they got my love for craft beer going. Um, I went through that store, brewed about 15 times, fell in love with the uh, the way that they just handled themselves and how they treated everybody. And and for their uh, record, too, they were very instrumental in having um, a lot of other breweries locally that um, were founded afterward, like Devil's Trumpet and Forefathers and St. John Malt Brothers and Pockrow and Wild Rose. Um, you can make the argument that without Kennywood, they wouldn't be in existence. So they are just as crucial to this world as we know. Um, the interview was about 40 minutes. Um, and I was great catching up with them. Uh, so without further ado, here is my interview with Bob and Deb from Kennywood. Yeah, but no, really, I really was like really excited about having you guys on. And when Matt uh, ran into you guys at a party or whatever, I'm like, you've got to get their information because I, I lost track of you guys um, yeah. through like the, the wormhole of what you guys ended up doing. Um, so just for, kind of from there, what, what ended up happening from Kennywood? I mean, because it was like an establishment in Crown Point for those that don't know, it was awesome. Um, and uh, it was selling brew supplies. You would, you could sell wine supplies, and you two were a dynamic duo. I felt like every time <laughs> I was in there, you were manning the shop, and Bob, you were running around doing all types of beer things. I was accused of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did Kennywood start? So, Kennywood. Um, let's see. In 1998, um, I was given a homebrew kit from my father for a birthday present. It was my 40th birthday. And I hit the ground running. It's all I thought about. Um, I made my first batch, um, bought some supplies out at Anderson Orchard was there at the time. He had a few things. And um, you just couldn't find anything then. You know, I was buying malt from a place in uh, Austin, Texas called St. Pat's. She was big, she went out of business. Um, and then there was more beer out in California. And that was really it. So I was mail ordering things. It was hard to come by stuff. And so the idea hatched. I needed to find a way to get supplies, fresh supplies, uh, nice selection. And I started doing that. Um, we put an addition on our house at that time, a two-story addition, um, and I brewed downstairs. Nice, so yeah. sounds like a good setup. <laughs> it was. So I needed to subsidize that some way, I guess. And uh, anyway, as I started getting uh, more malt and hops, I decided let's let's get a website going, and that that was pretty quiet for a while. Not much was happening on that front. I started, however, to get some local attention, and people would reach out and say, "Can I stop by? Can I buy things from you to save on shipping?" So I started doing that. Um, at the time, there were some business pickup on uh, on the website. But I think our first customer in the basement was Joe P. from Pockrow Brewing. Nice. And he's he was, awesome. He, yes, Joe he was always there. And uh, 
I just I just met so many people in that basement. Um, I always had two or three beers on tap, <laughs> and when they'd pick something up. Um, it was hours and hours, oh, wasn't yes, it? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was upstairs at the time. <laughs> so so. Uh, that continued um, for a while out of the basement. Um, I did have a license to be able to charge sales tax. Um, the Kennywood name kind of derived from a hunting camp in upstate Pennsylvania I went to for many years. It was a, a house out in the mountains uh, some friend of my dad's had. And uh, that's what they called, the, all the camps had a name, and that was Camp Kennywood. So the first time I brought beer up there, I made labels and decided to call it Kennywood Brewing Company. It was a joke. Um, and then when I started the, the homebrew business, I just kind of followed through with that. Awesome. And so, Deb, were you an early proponent of this? Were you excited? Were you on board from this from second one? Well, he had such a passion for it that I was like, yeah, go ahead. I mean, you need the ingredients. You're having such a good time. So, yeah, I, I was on board, but I wasn't helping or anything like that with the business or... So no bottling for you? No. No, not at that point. <laughs> and uh, I know for when I was doing the home brewing stuff, the, like the one thing my wife couldn't have was like the, the smell of like the wort. That was enough for her. And I love it. That's like my favorite part. And when you'd actually start to mix in the, like the hops and stuff, like that was for her. The one thing is like, I could tell you guys were brewing today. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's a legitimate smell. You Once know? the hops hit, yeah. yeah. But I do like it. And, you know, I've grown to like beer. I was kind of a Miller Lite drinker before that. And... He would make all these different Belgian beers, and mm -hmm. we were started making mead together, and so I really got into it. Awesome, yeah. and, and Bob, you are like a, an accomplished brewer at this point. You've won awards at it, um, and what was your influence locally when it comes to some of like the early establishments? Because I know for Crown Brewing, for sure, you were involved, right? Uh, I mean, involved in frequenting it quite a bit. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so. Um, <laughs> I would say my first craft beer, uh, per se, was uh, Sam Adams. And then um, I started reading about a brewery locally called Three Floyds. And the first visit we paid there, um, of course, that was before the pub, and they had tours. And we walked in the overhead door, and there was uh, like a cafe uh, counter with a roll-up door, and there was a gentleman sitting behind there. And he explained tours were five bucks, and in exchange, you got three bottle caps, each redeemable for a pint. And uh, there was no one else there. That was it. It was us. They're really about the yeah, second absolutely. one. Mm -hmm. Would you like a tour, really? <laughs> so that was that. Um, but anyway, so I would say shortly after Kennywood started out of the basement, uh, there's a brewery in Bourbon A, Illinois called Brickstone. Mm -hmm, I've uh, been there. Yep. So early on when they started brewing, um, I hung out there a lot with them. Uh, that was a great deal of fun. Now they're quite larger. They have a production brewery and so forth, but uh, yeah. Unbelievable. it was good times. Yeah. Yeah. And so that leads into, um, so at least if for following the timeline, you're still at your house and you're still kind of dipping into the recipes and you're starting to kind of get into the scene a little bit locally. Correct. Yes. Awesome. Yep. Um, and so when do you make the jump to a store? At what point is there just enough brewers hanging around to where it's time to make make a little bit of a living off of it? Yep. So that was, um, let's see, I started in the basement, I believe, in 01 or 02. 
And then the store opened, I think, in 08. Is that yes, sound right? Yes, I think 2008. Crazy, yes. which is yes. way ahead of the game. So what does the craft beer locally game look like in 2001? What is it? 2001 was, uh, I would say, from here, Three Floyds, Three Floyds and Flossmoor Station. Yes, Flossmoor. Okay, we would so go that's there. It. Yeah, that's it. yes. it's crazy to think mm-hmm. about. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, the, so the local side of that, then, so you jump into the the shop, and so you got the shop open around '08. Um, what what like turned into making knowing that you wanted to open the shop up? Um, basically, because I had too much stuff. And my, yes. my spare bedroom had 20 bags of grain and sacks of malt extract and the garage had a pallet of bottles and it was just too much stuff so I thought let's look for a small place that's affordable and the store we were at on the square um, was a building divided with a hallway uh, the Marine Corps mm-hmm. on the left always helpful yes you. very helpful <laughs> and us on the right uh, and then going deep, it was three spaces. So um, he put a, the owner put a wall up to minimize the footage and still allow us a window front to get the rent down. So I think we paid four fifty, was it, or eight hundred? Mm, I think it was eight fifty. So yeah, and then it you know, yeah, still for the first year, no. Uh, yeah. It's not. But no. when you go to bed at night and think I just signed a lease for eight fifty a month, <laughs> I if if we didn't have loyal great customers going into that it would have been difficult but uh, we we never had to struggle for rent ever uh, so it was always a pleasure um, from there we expanded the space a couple of times uh, the second space we picked up for uh, additional room for our grain display that was important to me I think we had about at least 55 different grains um, and we could, specialty we could display them in bins and um, it was just such a great time helping people learn you know what does this do and what does that do yep and we would just walk around and chew different grains help them get an idea I'll never forget the first time watching you chew grains <laughs> I'll never forget that and you mentioned the Marine Corps stuff too like that's the other thing that was like another piece of that character of that place was that you didn't know if it was like a Saturday there'd be like a whole like team running through the hallway next to it that you could hear through right but yeah, yeah but that grain uh, aspect was really cool and again not, not like anything around here at this point you're the only brew supply store right yes and I never saw anything like it it just happened and Unbelievable. Um, And so when did you guys start doing like the classes and everything? That was when we picked up the third space in the back. Um, We had a little bit of storage in there and then um, people would ask about classes and that's really why I did it. Um, I thought I could offer something there and uh, we just began with them and uh, it seemed to be pretty successful. for the for the people i thought oh it was great and eye-opening because when you get into that and like i think that's what the beauty of what you guys were doing was in particular was that like i'm nobody i'm walking through this place never brewed a batch of beer in my life and you guys just made it feel like it was so easy and and something you could do you could legitimately do you know and i think that was like the brilliance of it is how many people you like i don't i don't I, i would be interested to hear how many people walk through the doors and didn't buy anything because I, I, I feel like everyone who walked through those doors was buying a batch. It was buying a kit at not one point. Not many, not many. And at first, when before we had the classes, Bob would walk them through, like just set up a display right out on the counter and walk them through like extract 
brewing. So oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, so. I remember, and that was one of those people. And it was it was amazing how it got to the point to where it was like, all right, well, you can replace these hops with these hops if you really want to, or you can kind of like, well, you want to do a clone of a beer that you like, you can just kind of use this kit and kind of. And it was just like exciting to kind of be a part of, and it definitely reached to me because I'm a creative, and I and that's when I, the beer was like, oh, this is actually an art form. A liquid art form in some sense and you're kind of like the master of it you were like the Miyagi of the beer form <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah that's where uh, like entering contests so I, I rarely entered any beers in anything local um, I always entered the uh, national competition uh, which is done at two levels uh, it's done regionally maybe nine regions in the country and if you get in the top three you advance to the final round um, so you might be up against in the final round five, six hundred, you know, people competing in each in some styles, like uh, highly popular styles, hmm. uh, like IPAs. And uh, you know, I I fully understand when brewers will say they don't brew to style. That's kind of the rogue side of of being a brewer. Um, I always liked brewing to style uh, because. You're not competing against other brewers. You're competing against uh, the BJCP style guidelines. And I wanted to hit that, you know, and I would read about different styles until I was blue and try <laughs> different things. So uh, to me, that was fun. Um, after a while, uh, to progress with the store, uh, Deb had quit her job to allow awesome. us to open the store uh, full time. Uh, and when we did that, of course, all these young brewers would come in and she was the face. And she had learned working with me and she could answer their questions and help them. And if she couldn't, she would ask me or someone else there that hung out at the store for their advice. That was fun. And um, I can remember one day I came in after work and I walked up to the counter and she was speaking with a couple early 20s guys um, with they had a beer question and I stepped in just instinctively to answer that question and they both spun their heads and looked at me and then back to her and I was like okay <laughs> so she had a great deal of fun with that so yeah I did I did I guess I was a good learner he was a good teacher sure I mean, and then I you know we started brewing together and I started making up my own recipes. No kidding. What recipes were those? Um, my favorite one was a pale ale with galaxy and Amarillo hops. Oh yeah. And Amarillo is making a comeback. Yeah. It I love is. Amarillo. Me too. Yeah. 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 Um, also Belgians. I did a Belgian uh, red raspberry um, saison. Oh, which cool. was really good. That sounds good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so. and um, when you're in that store, I mean, you're just you're just like a sponge at this point. You consider yourself a master brewer. I mean, you uh, got me? No, I'm not a master brewer. No, <laughs> Bob. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but you got more working knowledge than I think half the people that probably drink it. I would guess at this point. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> which is really cool. And we're going back to I think if I remember correctly, you have a really funny story about those like tournaments because I didn't realize like when you go in and you try to get those awards, what that tasting is like. And I think I asked you this before, but it's it, to me it's really in interesting for those who may not know. Um, so you enter one of those like tournaments. And you put in your style of beer, and you're competing against everybody else in the then set style of the beer. What is the judging like? Okay, so uh, <laughs> the judging it's it's very formal. 
very organized and the judges um, are various classifications ranging from um, uh, I would say the entry level one is like uh, a, a local judge ranging up to national judges and so a homebrew club that I belonged to for a lot of years um, when I first started brewing I joined it called Brewers of South Suburbia and they're still very active um, I don't attend their meetings because they tend to be farther we're the farthest east uh, of their membership um, but I still uh, interact with those people they have a, a large annual competition of local uh, like 800 entries but they could be from anywhere in the country and they'll have uh, maybe 40 to 60 judges um, I met one that flew in from New Mexico to help so they take it seriously um, and let's say we are at a table and there's two or four judges here and we're gonna judge um, American IPAs and Imperial IPAs. Um, I don't know how many styles there are exactly. I believe there were like 28 and then there were sub styles beneath that. So we're going to judge the American IPAs and Imperial IPAs in that order. Um, and there is a typewritten set of descriptions for each style. So American IPA, it'll show uh, a brief description of what the appearance should look like, the color on a scale term degrees love a bond, that's the range of color, um, two being Miller Lite, 500 being Guinness, if that gives you an idea. Sure, yeah. All right, and then uh, mouthfeel, aroma, there's just uh, quite, quite a few factors to judge that beer, and it's each scored. So. I think a 50 would be like a perfect score. Um, and as they sample one bottle at a time, they make notes. It's like a library quiet. And when they finish, then they'll talk. And they may adjust their score based on that. Really? So it is an interactive thing. There are like everyone else, all the judges are talking about what they just tasted. The ones at the table, yes. Wow. After they've tasted it and made notes. And sometimes there's a, just a correction. You might might look at something a little different and say, you know, you're right. I did I did misjudge that. I'm in agreement with you two. To be fair, I, you you make it. I I get in this vision of like all the brewers who have their who are getting their beers judged, just hanging out on the side, just staring at the judges drinking their. Not beer. allowed. No, so they're not even in the room. No, not and there's uh, afterwards they have an awards banquet dinner, and then the brewers can come. Yeah, awesome. How does a judge stay sober? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. You can tell the ones that are judging like the high ABV beers about the end of the day. They're <laughs> red in the face, red in the nose. Oh yeah, oh uh -huh. yeah. That'd be like the best and worst job ever. Because even when you've had enough, you got to keep going, right? That's right. right. <laughs> so um, now we're getting, you mentioned a Brewers Club and um, Chris Pearson from Devil's Trumpet was on uh, a little while ago. And he was mentioning how the Brewers Club, I'm not sure if that's the same one that was joined in with you guys, but you guys were a part of a club and I'm guessing it's the same one that they were in? Yes, that was uh, Ibrew or Ileana Beer Rackers Union. Um, and when that, how that evolved, uh, quite a few people that came into the store wanted to join a club. And as I said, Boss or Brewers of South Suburbia, a couple others were pretty distant. And you're, you know, you're going to these events 
you're controlling your drinking, but nonetheless you're drinking and you don't want to drive 40, 50 miles. Yep, yep. So uh, we put up a sign-up list at the store to see if anybody had interest. I said we needed at least 35 people, and I think we had 50. Awesome. And, um, mm-hmm. Yep, and I had yeah. spoke to uh, Crown Brewing if they would want to help with this, um, and they were great. They gave us the space upstairs at no charge, um, and we started meeting. Uh, yep, Chris, he was, him and uh, Bob and they were right at the beginning of that. In fact, uh, Pearson became president for a year. Really? Yeah, anyway. yep. yeah he did. He, uh, he, Chris was all about, you know, I don't want this to be a drinking club. We want, we want to organize this and, and do teaching and training. And uh, so that's what happened. We even had like little mini competitions in the club and uh, myself and I think Chris and Bob and Steve Mezluski would just step off to the back room and uh, just just do a quick quick judging best we could. Awesome, yeah. And yeah. Steve was on the podcast too. He's an amazing person. Yeah, his story is. is phenomenal too. And the story behind mm-hmm. the Crown, like how he got to Crown Brewing, is incredible. Alone, yeah, yeah you yes. know. Um, but the, the this this Ileana Brew um, Club in particular is really fascinating for me because, like, looking back at it, you're talking about three breweries at this time, essentially, right? I mean, in, from a relatively, like, say, two one nine side of things. So you've got three Floyds now at this point in around oh eight oh nine starting to get established. Ten, then you've got Crown, who just went through yes. their tenure, right? Yeah, Shoreline. Who's mm-hmm. around, and then you've got Figure Eight in there at that point too. That's right. Yes. So those are the four, and so that when this club's hitting, like right now, we look at this in 2018, and there's 27 breweries in this area. Unbelievable! It's amazing. Yeah. How many of those people who started a brewery was in that club? Quite a few. Uh, she would know <laughs> well, better than I. Pearson, uh, Chris Pearson, uh, uh-huh. Devil's Trumpet, Bob Lucen. Um, Joe Pacro. Pacro. Um, Wild Rose. The Wild, Wild Rose. Rose, all those guys. So Dave and Kevin and those guys. Yes. They frequented the shop, absolutely. They oh, were yeah. really, they were great. They'd give me their order well in advance. I'd have their <laughs> fresh yeast for them and get everything, you know, weighed out, measured, and uh, milled up for them. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because that's like, a, I mean, we're talking about a movement here. Yes. I mean, really, and that's mm-hmm. what's kind of fun about it is, um, and so, like, is there anybody else that we're not we're not mentioning here? Probably, probably um, go up and down thirty and forty one and figure out somebody. <laughs> well, yeah, um, St. John Malt Brothers. Oh, that's another. They used one. to come in. Mm-hmm. Crazy. And so, how does that? So now that these breweries start popping up, how does that affect you guys? Is that is that? I mean, because th- well, it's it's tough because it's a parallel story, right? The breweries are popping up and they're exploding around here. And at that time, you guys left, right? We left yes. in. Um, 2015. 15, yes. We sold the business, I believe it was uh, no end of November 14. Okay, and then I heard rumors, never had it, now this is the first time I can actually like, you know, pin it down, but you moved to Arizona, is that California. right? California. California, okay. Yes. And that was just to retire? No, no, no such <laughs> luck. You, you can't retire in California. Okay. There's not <laughs> enough money. Nope, uh, my day job, I work for a Country Mall Group. And I manage a warehouse in South Holland for them. Uh, we supply uh, ingredients to breweries. Uh, we have 13 locations nationally. Uh, we sell malt and hops, et cetera, globally. Awesome. Um, so I believe that that homebrew kit took me a lot of places. Um, and in 08, right when Crown was opening, 
Um, I had actually, I would say I was 50% in uh, with the idea of opening some kind of a small brew pub. And I had an acquaintance in Denmark that was kind of planning a little trip out to spend a week with, and he wanted to train me on his system. And then at that time, uh, I was, I had just opened an account. I think I might have been the second account. S O O two was my account number at Country Malt. Wow. It was their second location in 08. That's how much this industry has grown. It's insane. Insane. Yes. So I now could buy fresh imported malt and hops right there locally, um, which I did. And then I applied for the warehouse manager position kind of on a lark. I just thought, you know, I've been on I've been on this current job for 30 years. Maybe it's time for a change. So I applied for it and interviewed, and um, it's been great. So we opened a warehouse in Northern Cal in 15, and I went out for almost a year and a half uh, with with that. That's how I ended up there. And this this is the truth. I mean, there are so many brand names of beer in Northern California. You'd be aware of that, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, the the beer in the Midwest is its own thing. It's, really, there is great beer agree. in the Midwest. I would totally yes. agree. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, so we we anyway we moved back here. I returned to the warehouse I was at, and this is where we are. No kidding. So you just had to come back. Had to come back, back. (laughs) and so doing it professionally is really interesting. So the the, before that, you were a customer that just turned employee for this place, just through the through the the brew supply store and your knowledge that you've gained. That's correct, and um, awesome. Working there, I just I just learned so much knowledge and met so many people in the industry. It just fueled the fire for me with the homebrew shop. Sure, and one of the things that you guys are made it very aware of, and it's what I would attracted me so much to, and something we try to like embrace here is just uh, the level of community that that industry has. It's fascinating to me because there's a lot of people who are who like, especially when when business gets involved, right? We're starting to talk about capitalism and that side of things, but people are like, you know, usually if it's uh, an insurance agent versus an insurance agent, it's pretty cutthroat, and this isn't the exact opposite of that. And it might be evolving a little bit now, but at least at that at least at that moment for sure, everyone was in it for everyone's best interest. You nailed it. I think I, that's I, what grew the craft industry. Yeah. Everybody propped each other up. Everybody figured stuff out, right? They yeah. they made their brewery happen. Um, I don't know if that'd be as easy today, you know, yeah. to just uh, open with on a lark. Isn't there a great Sam Adams story of the uh, CEO of that who who like it was when I think it was when one of the hops were just blowing up. Um, and instead, and like he pretty much had a monopoly on it. And he at one point got, and this, this to me defines that, that mentality, right? Is like he had a monopoly on that one type of hop for that season, didn't even know about the, that was going to be the case. Well, then everyone started running out, and then it, then it got to be a trend. Um, and so now every brewery needed it, but he had an oversupply. So instead of just like raping him a hand over fist back for that stuff, I, I think the story goes that he literally sold it, like held up an auction, sold it to them at cost to keep them running. He did to support small small breweries. And that's incredible when your leaders of the industry are doing that. It really is. That, you know? that showed their footprint in the craft industry. Um, 08, there was, right when Crown opened, there was an extreme hop shortage. They called it like the the perfect storm, but part of it was a, a huge warehouse fire up in Yakima, Washington. Uh, okay. 5% of the world's hops burned. Um, and 
brewery growth, it just all happened at once and uh, many breweries were relying on any any string they could pull to get hops. Yeah, I hear the canning industry went through a very similar growing phase. Have you heard that? I have not. I guess there was like three main distributors in the country that was still canning at this point, kind of like making vinyl for records, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then once the craze hit that all the canning was coming back and the craft beers, the demand was through the roof and you couldn't get something canned for like six months. Mm. And you know, with like as a brewer, that's not going to work. That's not no. going to work. No, no. So that's what, I mean, it sounds like, so now that not only are they starting to kind of embrace the canning supplies, like those businesses, of course, are like blowing up, you know, but now that that's where the mobile canning came from to create the demand, which is really fascinating. Yeah. How much this industry has created jobs. It is. Because of the boom. Mm -hmm. um, what, what, uh, what trends, how good are trends for you when it comes to craft brewing? Because like we're starting to see ones now that are like, I think I think I've seen beers that are like the special ones like the hazy, right? That's an interesting one too because for the brewer for a long time, it was the clearer the beer, the better the brewer. That's correct. And then now it's starting to be like the hazy is in. And so that's a different trend. How do you feel about trends? And is there any trends in particular that you embrace or are they all embrace worthy? Um, I would say embrace worthy. My personal take on things right now, um, I, I think I see styles becoming kind of evolving uh, to people's taste more so by styles again. Like you're seeing craft breweries marketing Pilsner malt or Pilsner beer. Um, just all the styles, milds, things that are more sessionable. You know, you can, and I'm starting to hear that. People like to go out and have have a few, right? Mm -hmm. And not, not be sacked after three bottles. <laughs> so, uh, for that reason, not alone, but I think people are just starting to drink lighter beers more than they did. Uh, of course, hoppy IPAs, I don't ever see that getting out of my diet. I love them. Um, the hazy beer, um, it, it's pretty interesting what people have done there. Uh, but I, I just personally, um, I like a hint of things in my beer rather than a hint of beer. <laughs> in the flavor scheme <laughs> that makes sense yeah oh yeah um oh, yeah. that's me maybe that's the old-fashioned german in me but uh yeah it's it's just incredible the uh the hop uses that these brewers are finding and the techniques to sure. make them palatable it's, it's really cool to learn and see i think the first trend that i can remember is like a, as an adult who enjoys craft beer was the citra one that was oh, like the first yes. one and it was funny because at that time you'd go to a craft brewery and it was everything just was super hoppy. That's it was like you had ten different beers. The color changed, but the hops, the, the bitterness was in all of them, mm -hmm. you know. And and I think like that, like Rock Bottom Brewery is one of those, and, and like that comes into mind is yeah. like every beer almost didn't taste the same, but the bitterness was in every single one of them. Um, and then I feel like it's really kind of evolved with like real original taste flavors. Would you agree with that? I do agree, and. Uh a brewer that brews very clean and balanced beers, right? Not too malty, not too hoppy, or vice versa. Uh, you can you can open up that envelope of flavors, I guess you'd say, and you can differentiate. Uh, uh, for example, uh, some breweries are doing different series. I know Devil's Trumpet has uh, brewed a beer each time with a different single hop, and it's it just expresses the ingredients, you know, that are are available there um, and you know some as you mentioned citra right that was when a new variety comes out 
it, it costs the, the growers. Uh, I think a new variety ends up about a million dollars at the gate to have it, uh, you know, grown and, a, and approved that it's going to be a, a good sellable hop. It's disease free, et cetera, and will withstand time. So when they release a new hop, um, it's a big deal. And then, of course, it's going to be short in demand until they ramp up, you know, the hop yards with that hop. To keep it, to keep the supply going, right? Yes. Uh, to the demand. And have you, like, so now that you're, you guys are back and you guys are seeing the explosion and you're in it, um, what do you guys love about it? I mean, is it, is it really cool to see it kind of explode the way it has? The, the best part for me locally is to, to see these guys that we kind of, so to speak, grew up with and to see what they've done, what they've become. They've formed a business. That's a whole different side to loving beer, right? Yeah. And it's a tough business. It's a tough business. So, right. uh, it's it's both, and uh, these guys locally have been pretty successful uh, with keeping their doors open and keeping uh, people interested in beer through ways of like seasonals or trends, whatever whatever it takes. Yeah, I, I had no idea how hard it was to do a brewery until like 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 when they, the tax guys come in and they get audited, and it's like it's real. That's like a serious like situation that people don't realize, especially when it comes to alcohol, right? With the state mm -hmm. of Indiana, they don't take that lightly. No, they don't. It, it's that's uh, like working with the tax man there, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, have you been to any of the hop farms around here? Because I that's haven't. Kind of I've been out to uh, Yakima, Washington. Uh, there's that's basically the northwest is where all the hops, domestic hops, are grown. Um, and I went out there for a week through work. Uh, just a great experience. Uh, bringing you through the experimental hot plots and uh, they call it hop school so it wasn't like half school but it was a uh, educational mm -hmm. but locally no I'm not I know there is one or two locally I would like to see them yeah we, we did a video for one for how farms and they had uh, they had a, a nice little hop farm there I don't I would be ridiculous to even try to tell you what the square footage of that is because I have no idea I'm eyeing it but it looked like there's about 10 rows 10 to 20 rows and probably I don't know 75 to 100 feet long <laughs> yeah um and it was really cool and it was just it's rare to see it that i can show you the video when we get off here but um mm -hmm. really awesome and i think there's another one called cone keepers that's around here too now starting to add in and a lot of the breweries are starting to kind of take in the local side of that too which is really fascinating that's intense the equipment that's used for harvesting hops it'd be interesting to see on a small scale how they manage that. Yeah, well, it's like, you know, they've got the, the it, I, they're not pelletizing it, there's no way, mm -hmm. right? So it's really just, you're getting the leaf. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating to see how they probably use it. I, I would, I know they've been to Crown a few times when Steve, you know, you drive by Crown at 6 a.m., Steve's over there. He's brewing every day, you know? Mm -hmm. And it would be interesting to go over there one day to see how they're incorporating those kind of hops into what they're doing. Because I know, I think they're using them, Burnham's using them, Forefathers is using them now. So it's starting to get itself into it a little bit more, which is cool. Okay, yep, Forefathers, that's another that, one. That was another one, <laughs> yes. Beth and Jason, that's who we're friends with there. I didn't know the, the past owners, but that's, a, that's crazy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, did you know the Burnham guys? That I, I do not. Uh -uh. No? no? No. With With your business, do you have to go to all the breweries? Um, no, I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> it's my own requirement. Okay. <laughs> you have to go to at least three a day. There you go. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the one thing with this explosion that I really can't wait to see is just public transportation. 
it's like every time, like just the drive out to Byway or 18th Street's enough for me to like, oh, I know I'm going to have three or four beers. Oh, and I got to drive home, you know, mm-hmm. is the toughest part. Uh, I do have a couple other questions that seem to be hot topics on these podcasts that I think that would be cool to get your uh, perspective on. The trading. It seems to be people really are into it or people are not into it at all and they're like totally against it. Um, and because there's like this creating this entire secondary market um, that I think it's it goes as both sides of the perception, right, of what people view. Uh, do you have any opinion on it? As far, can you go into a little more detail? Yeah, so say, uh, you know, Viking Funeral was released from Forefathers last weekend. Um, Those bottles are limited, right? Yes. So people are buying 10 to 20 of them, and then they're they're housing them for a little while, and then they're going in uh, some type of Facebook group, and they're either selling them back or trading them for something that's equal in price from a secondary side of it when, you know, and I've heard some people, the brewers in particular, I've heard say, I make the beer for you to drink it then. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, um, on that note, so uh, you remember a movie called Beer It Forward? Not Beer It Forward. That was my... Uh, Pay It Forward? Pay It Forward. It was a Kevin Spacey film. Yes. In what year? I don't know. I don't remember. Oh, it was in... It was between 02 and 08. Uh, but anyway, during that time, uh, a website opened uh, called Beer Advocate out of Boston. It's mm-hmm. two brothers. It's still active. Um and when they opened, uh, I was a, like a founding member uh, just by a small, you know, annual fee. Um, but their publication soon started, a magazine. And when they did that, uh, they offered Kennywood a free ad. So I had, they gave me a half a page, which it's pricey. And below me in, in a little corner ad was three Floyds. And I thought, if that is an irony, right? <laughs> but uh, they, during that time, they formed a forum for homebrewers. And uh, you get kind of close w- with a small group like that when it's a new hobby. And so I started a, a thing with them and called it Beer It Forward. Kind of, I watched that movie the night before and I was brewing and I thought, what if we did this? So I asked for 50 people. And I made this bomb-proof tube that would hold two bottles of beer. And uh, I had this list of 50 people. And I grabbed, uh, I don't remember, I think it was a three Floyds and a crown, perhaps, and put them in this. And I just sent them for free to the guy that was number seven. And when he did it, he followed. And it was like a year to the day. Uh, The last one came back to me. All 50 completed it. No kidding. Yeah, that was That's pretty really cool. cool. And they followed that with uh, a growler at Forward, a beer mug at Forward. It just continued on. But um, so back to the trading thing. I love the trading thing. I like my idea better than selling them for t- Floyd's for, you know, some ramped up price just to yeah. make money. I don't think they really are all about that either. Uh, but trading is great. Um, I don't. I don't know how I feel about you know, selling for a profit. That's not the idea. Gotcha. Yeah, we had um, Dave Foreman on here. Do you know him? He's the taproom manager at uh, Doc's Barbecue. So he has got like, you know, he's a, he's a beer connoisseur. He's awesome to talk to about it. And Rod McKenzie from Off Square. Okay. And it was funny to see both of their perspectives because they were on completely different sides of the spectrum on it. Mm-hmm. And it was fun okay. to see. Because, um, yeah, I didn't realize it'd be one of those things. And like I met a couple people at Forefathers. Shout out to them. 
uh, last Friday who were just talking about how there's like these backdoor beer trade places that are like private invite only. And like you've got yeah. to go in there. They come armed with like the best beers from all over this, all over the country, and they just drink them and share them. And it's, it sounds like a really cool thing. Dark web, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, any place you'd like to see the brewing industry kind of go, or you see that you'd like? Um, you know, I like I like to see breweries grow, and I know there's a little stress on them with the number, the saturation that we see right now. Um, so to keep everybody successful, I hope that doesn't become, you know, more and more saturated. You know, sharing that business is is difficult. Um, any any breweries I've spoken to always seem to welcome a new brewery in town. It it seems to bring them you know more of a destination uh, audience. Um, but I I do want to see them all, you know, maintain their success. And I think. I think they all have their own niches, and mm-hmm. the, the best ones, of course, will prevail. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's fascinating because I think it's going to get down to the black and white of this now more than ever, right? It's going to come down to how much your overhead is and how much you're coming in because some of these breweries, and it's it's crazy because you can almost see it in waves, right? You got you got the four original ones that we were talking about who kind of did a pretty good job of keeping the overhead down, right? They were it wasn't like they weren't really all doing food right away. I mean, Crown essentially still isn't doing food. It's carriage court, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. so it's like, and then you, you kind of move into the next wave where it's like Devil's Trumpet and 18th Street and, uh, you know, the um, the ones that we mentioned before, St. John Mall Brothers, and it's all, all that group, right? Mm-hmm. Pock Row, Wild Rose, uh, New Oberfalls. Then they start incorporating food. But then, like, Devil's Trumpet in particular puts in distribution into their plan. Well, then there's, like, this last wave of breweries, the byways and the off-squares, who've had the hindsight of seeing what everybody else was doing and working um, and kind of making that move, right? So now it's like these beer cathedrals are getting made, yes. which is awesome for us, but just costs a ton of money to get off the ground. Sure, yeah. You know, so it's interesting what that next wave is gonna be. Does it retract a little bit? Um, it's just, um, it's gonna be fascinating to hear and mm-hmm. see. And see it play out. Yeah, and I'm always curious on what the new trends are gonna be too, because that's, have you heard any kind of rumors with that? Um, you know, other other than outside the box, I mean, you, you are seeing trends with distilleries opening up, certainly. Yeah, right? for sure, for sure. Um, and like they said, the uh, the craft brewing industry, be, the beer industry, they always viewed it as a like a blue collar industry. The beer industry that was their typical audience were blue collar workers. And when craft evolved, uh, getting up to I think they're what twelve percent of market share now, uh, if I'm correct. Which is awesome. Which is awesome, yes. and uh, it pulled people away from wine and distilleries into craft beer, you know, and it brought a more diverse crowd. And you had, you know, you had uh, people in college uh, getting into craft beer that early, and then when they, you know, graduate and, and begin their career, now they can really afford craft beer yeah and you start seeing the bar raise right what, yeah, yeah what's available and you I, I can't i would be remiss to not ask um but uh you touched on it a little bit how come you never started your own brewery um i guess time just passed me by when i when i began this career with country malt um that was it so we had we had kind of a model of like a a pole building kind of thing um with just you know tables with some limited food sandwiches and a few beers on tap and it would just become a fun thing and i i think we could have been 
successful with that. Um, that would be my model today if I did it. I wouldn't want uh, you know, the stress of managing and running a, a big growing business. I would, I would just like to have that place. Um, so if I did, that's what it would have been. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Any chance of it still happening? No. <laughs> okay. No. <laughs> Too many choices right now, right? I yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, I like, appreciate the honesty. And again, thank you for coming in. For me, it was really awesome because I haven't seen you guys in a while. Um, and really appreciate everything. I mean, you guys were literally like, uh, you made me fall in love with the industry and I for, will be forever grateful for that. Well, thank well, you. The, the, hard, the hardest part... Uh, for us after we sold the store, just so many people you think you're going to always run into, and you rarely do. And uh, it's nice when that opportunity happens, but if, if I could go back a little bit, I maybe would uh, find a way to you know, keep that alive. Yeah. Maybe attend homebrew club meetings more or something like that. Well, I, I, you, you definitely missed. I know there's a void in this area in particular now because of the lack of it, um, especially after it's kind of, I think the only one I've even heard of is in Velpo. Um, and I think it's by Forefathers, right? I hear really good stuff about that place. Yeah, Jeff Blade. He's a good guy. Uh, when when he opened his store, um, there was a, a... When I opened our store, I had a hard time out of the home getting ingredients sold to me by any wholesalers because I did not have a brick-and-mortar store, right? Um, and if you had that, they protected a 50-mile radius to help you support sales to to have a business. And um, when Jeff opened up, um, he was kind of in an area outside of my immediate area, and we had a, a good relationship. Uh, at that time, someone kind of tried to leapfrog him and opened a store like literally, literally next door. Oh. And uh, I grew even closer with Jeff because uh, he was just a bad guy, and I'm glad he went out of business. <laughs> awesome. Victory prevails. Victory prevails. So yeah, Jeff has <laughs> supplies. He's a good guy, and also uh, there's a winery that opened up right next to him. In I June. saw that. Yeah. yeah, that looked really cool. It looked busy when we were in there on Friday. Yeah, so it's it's a really good scene right there, right? Beer and wine making supplies. Buy wine, buy beer. Oh yeah. Well, again, guys, thanks for coming in. Thank you. I really Thank appreciate you. it. And I know it's a Saturday event, so we made it special for you guys. So that's awesome. Usually we take these on Mondays. We so. do appreciate it. Awesome. Yes. Are they, anywhere people can find you? If you want to be found? <laughs> uh, just bump into us somewhere. Okay, you're around. You're around. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thanks, guys. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Who would it be? <laughs>